Hello, all my Be In Demand listeners. I am bringing you one of one of my lovely clients. She has an amazing story. Her name is Sarah Ross. She is a specialist when it comes to burnout. And the reason why she became a specialist in this area is because she experienced this. She has an amazing story. She is impacting people and audiences around the globe. And I thought I would bring her on to share her story. And during our time that we worked together, she ended up speaking, you know, this was before the um, the lockdown, she spoke, um, she's an international speaker, she ended up speaking in a number of different countries. And during the pandemic, she fell in love with virtual speaking, she never thought that she would, but she did. And when I tell you that she crushed it, she has really learned and grasped how you actually engage a virtual audience so that they end up speaking about you for the days remaining that the conference is going on. Let's get on to the show. You're listening to Be In Demand, the podcast for honest advice, inspiring stories, and ideas for growing your business by leveraging the expert that you are. I'm your host, Loria Mirabito, business mentor, and I'm also a reformed painfully shy girl, red wine lover, and exercise enthusiast. Join me as I share how being positioned as the expert in your industry, even if it's a busy one, will help you stand out and be the one in demand to hire and work with. Hello, all of my Be In Demand listeners. Today, I am bringing on a guest, but she's not just any guest. She has been one of my students, my private clients, and I've just had the, the, the honor of watching her, her grow and impact not just uh, nationally, like within her country, but internationally. And her message, which she really she specializes in burnout. I mean, could there have been any other better time for burnout to have come to the surface for every country? And you just, you know, like now it's also something that you're hearing a lot of people be okay with talking about. So I want to introduce to you, Sarah Ross. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You have such, such an amazing topic. And I just going to say, I think like the very first time when we did a discovery call, you telling me about your story and how you wanted to have an impact with your story and tell your story in a way that was, you know, what I talk about, you know, like compelling, captivating, and converting. And you've just, you're just one of my rock star clients. (laughs) But can you just like talk about, um, can you give that story? Can you do a a short version of that story? Yeah, of course. Uh, So yeah, it was three years ago that we actually first spoke and had that call as Facebook. So kindly reminded me yesterday. Um, But yeah, the the crux of the story is I had that Instagram life that you would see. It was champagne, airplane, you know, business class, airplane seats and hotels, and nobody knew where I was in the world anytime. And yet I was pushing myself really, really hard. I was traveling 85% of the time. And so my body was giving me signals that I was not looking after myself, but I was choosing to ignore them. And basically, I was just stressing my body out completely. So when my relationship then broke down, 
my health started to deteriorate. You know, my body was just telling me to stop, but I was continually pushing, continually pushing. Mm. And it did get to that point. You know, I was having migraines 25 days a month. Wow. So, you know, if any, any of the listeners are, have had a migraine, it's like, imagine leaving one, having a few hours respite, and then it's starting all over again. Waking up in the morning and just hoping you were going to have a day without pain, um, which were few and far between. Mm-hmm. And I ended up taking the severance package from my corporate job because I just could no longer continue at that pace, in that role. Um, and it had played with my mind. You know, in all those days of pain, my inner chatter was not particularly friendly. Right. I was not my own best friend. I was a bully. I didn't speak to myself very nicely. And, you know, you would lie there with no, nothing else to do but time to pass. And it would be, you know, you're a failure. You're not even at work. You can't even get to your job properly. You can't, you know, you'll be, be disappointing people. And that was kind of the biggest thing for me, not wanting people to know that I was struggling. And so come my 37th birthday, I decide I don't want to see my 38th. And I put together a plan to end my life. And it's not like this is Thursday and I'm going to do it next Tuesday. This was seven months ahead. It was controlled. It was planned. Um, it also allowed me to go and see friends in different places and say goodbye, although nobody would know that's what I was planning. And in order to keep up that facade that everything was okay, you know, I still took personal development courses. I went to LA to learn how to be a speaker. Um, at Los Angeles to learn how to be a speaker. <laughs> Then, you know, I started developing a website with a, with a company, a website that I never planned to launch. Wow. I mean, just like, think about that. You're, you're doing all this stuff and behind the scenes, like Sarah knew what she was going to do, but it's, it's almost like that, just like you said, you didn't want to ask for help and you didn't want to let anybody in on what you were actually planning to do. Yeah. So yeah, you put on this mask, everything's okay, everything's fine. Um, and how do I prove that? Well, I go and do stuff and people will think everything's great and I'll go and visit a few people because, you know, I had a chunk of money from this severance package. It wasn't, you know, I had talked about traveling and everything. So I was just filling in the blanks that people already believed were there, but nobody knew what the, the plan was. Now, I had visited an orphanage in Vietnam shortly after making that decision and that plan. And I found a place where I could finally feel like I had a use, that I was useful, that there was something I could do for other people. And it was, you know, it was hugs, um, sharpening pencils, painting toenails, building Lego towers and destroying them again, uh, and playing catch, you know, very simple activities with a room full of disabled children and I had a piece there that I hadn't experienced anywhere else and this was the orphanage right this was the orphanage yeah so one question I'm like doing like sort of a commercial break here (laughs) story did you at any point know that you were burnt out 
I mean, you're, you're talking about like, Hey, I've like, I know that my body, like I'm sort of ignoring the signs, but did you know that that was burnout? No. Okay. This had been going on for at least three years of not listening to my body, but the you know, the signs are all there. I would go through periods of, you know, lack of empathy for my job. I was pushing myself really hard. I didn't manage stress very well. Um, I had several sort of sick leaves uh, from work for like maybe two, three weeks, um, but they were usually linked to the migraines. So nobody was talking about, you know, burnout. It was my migraines weren't under control. So I would start a new medication, but it would, the side effects would keep me out of work for a while. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I went to see my neurologist and I was literally, I said to him, I can't do this anymore. And he said, you'll burn that. Wow. So I'm going to put it. That was the first time that you'd ever. About it. Yeah. That first time that even crossed my mind that that's what had happened. Wow. And I want to put a pause on the the rest of that Vietnam story, because we're going to make our, our listeners kind of <laughs> just like linger on because you definitely want to hear the rest of the story. But I'm curious, what made you, well, I, I do know what the Vietnam story is, but what made you decide like this, like I need to, I need to tell the world about this. I'll be completely honest. I never planned to tell the world about what my journey was at all. I had this moment and we will tell the rest of that story later on. I have that, I have that moment where my decision changed and I reach out for help and I start on my own healing journey. But even as I started on that journey, I wasn't telling people the full truth. Mm -hmm. I, enrolled in classes to help me be a better speaker, to help me be more authentic on stage. But I wasn't telling anybody that two months previously, I had been planning to take my own life. Mm -hmm. I still kept that part secret. And I truly believe for the first six months that I was actually on those courses and, you know, learning how to be on stage, I fully expected this, this story to be in a box, locked away, put in the back of my mind, never to surface again. In fact, the only person who would know what was supposed to happen or what had been planned was me. Right. And that was it. It was closed off. And it surprised even me, the fact that it came out. Um, I'd finished a seven-day-long masterclass at an Italian film festival. Um, red carpet events every night, dance class in the morning, days filled with press conferences and lessons and acting and a lot of healing and emotional baggage removal, shall we say. Mm. And at the end of this week, the, the, you know, the guy who's running the masterclass says, he asks us to answer this question, which was, what did you learn this week? Now, that is the most innocuous question. It has no hooks to, you know, if he'd said, what changed your life this week? Or, you know, what have you learned this week that is going to impact the world? You know, then maybe I could understand that that's why the story came out. But the fact that I'm stood there and it's my turn to answer the question 
And I have an answer prepared. I have my, this will be a good enough answer to allow me to get off the stage. I had no plans to tell the truth. And yet it all came out. And that was the first time anybody knew what had been going on in my head. And I wow. told it to 50, I told it to 50 people. Wow. And shortly afterwards, two girls returned to the stage, having heard me tell my story. One admitted to abuse, the other admitted to an eating disorder, and both then got the help that they needed. So you're like this door woman. <laughs> if you can like imagine this, it's like you're speaking your truth and like, like, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing you like open this door for, to let other people through that, like, come, come share, come share your truth. And both of these girls had already answered that question. Right. They had done exactly what I had planned for that day was to answer the question and get off the stage quick. The fact that I then told the whole story explained what had been going on in my head, what I had, what I had planned, why I was there, what it meant. Both of them said afterwards it gave them the freedom to tell the truth as well, because they had seen somebody else do it and that person didn't get ridiculed, they didn't get, you know, they were supported, they had what, you know, I got off the stage and everyone gave me a huge hug. That's what they needed to know was going to happen if they told their story, if they right. told what was happening to them. And a lot of times the leap of faith comes because you see somebody else take one. And that's exactly what you're doing on stages is sharing your story and giving people the opportunity really to raise their hand and say, I get it. I have those symptoms. I get it. I need to take care of myself. I mean, you're, you're literally putting a flashlight on burnout in yeah. such a, a different way, you know, because it's your personal experience, you know, versus like the psychologist getting up there on a stage or at a, at a, you know, like a company that finally brings somebody in because, oh, maybe, you know, our people are burnt out because they're at home working 40 hours a week and also trying to homeschool and, you know, they're tired of living with their family in their small apartment, small home, you know, you know, it's, yeah, I think it's, um, it's been easy to get a little burnt out these past couple of years, but you sharing, you sharing your story. I mean, you had to go on that journey personally to be yeah. able to tell your story. So what happened when you got up on that stage? Cause I think that people need, need to hear this because I get the like, here's what I plan on saying. And like, as a speaker, yeah. like, I've had those, those moments, not, not the story that you're sharing with them, but like always like, like the planned speech here's what I'm going to tell. Then somebody asks a question and it like the speech can go in a completely different direction. 
and you know, like as, as a professional speaker and like, and you know this because like, this is what we've worked on. Like, you know, speaking is also improv, you know, you sometimes you just have to like, you, we change things, but what do you, can you remember like at what moment I'm just like picturing you walk up onto that stage? Well, the truth is it's a little bit stranger than that in that. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. This was never going to be. It was, I walked onto the stage and my life changed. No. Or the whole class are on the stage. And on the stage, you are stood individually. You can't hug. You can't touch. You can't interact with anybody. Until you are called upon to speak at the front, you answer, you leave the stage. And when you leave the stage, you're amongst friends, peers, the rest of the class, and there you can hug each other, cry, whatever, but none of that is on the stage. And, you know, there's 50 people. So this, you're up there for a long time. And there was a young lady in front of me whose story I had, I knew because I'd been in another class with her and I could see her start to panic. I could see her start to worry about telling her story again. And so all I did was put my hand on her back. I'm breaking the rules because we're not allowed to touch up on the stage and we have to stay separate. But I could see that she just needed to know that there was somebody there. Hmm. Probably two or three people answer that question and I'm still comforting her by just letting her know I'm there when she gets called to the stage. So she moves maybe a meter forward and I kind of shuffle so that I can still, you know, be there for her. And I'm told to step back. And so I'm literally, I have one finger on the middle of her back because I know she needs that. In this whole time, so until the point that I put my hand on her back, I'm planning my story. It'll be good enough if I just say this. That's fine. I know my story. I'm good. I'm good. The whole time I'm listening to her story, I'm concentrating on making sure she knows she has what she needs to be able to tell her story and that she's not alone. I'm not even thinking about what I'm going to say. As soon as she goes to walk off the stage, I go to take a step back because I'm like, not me next. I just need a you know, one more question and then, and then I'll go. And I get called. Oh dear. <laughs> and I believe the reason it came out is because there was no reset time for me to step back, put back on the mask of the good enough answer. And I stepped forward and I didn't, I just said whatever came into my head. And I knew as soon as I said the first line that the story was coming out, that I was going to tell the truth. And the interesting thing was afterwards, the, guy, the whole of these seven days had been filmed. There was class footage of the whole seven days. I'd been running around getting batteries charged and collecting SD cards from hotels and because I'd been helping the photographer. And at the moment that I said the first line, he went to change the battery. And he didn't put the batteries back in the camera. So 
So the only part of that masterclass that is not filmed is your story? My story. Your answer, I mean. Yeah. Wow. And kind of afterward, you know, when I come off the stage and everyone hugs me and, you know, I have a moment with the guy who's leading the class who I've, you know, basically been lying to for the last six months as he's coached me because we'd never gone into that detail of what was going on. That's when Jesus remembered to put the batteries back in the camera. So you mesmerized the audience. <laughs> I, I had tweaked something, I think it was safe to say. Yeah. So at what point, um, so where did I come into like all of this? <laughs> it was three years ago. So that was the summer of 2015. That was six months after I had returned from Vietnam. I, I was still... I still completed another year training with Bernie, doing acting classes, singing classes, dance classes. I learned to dream, which was my healing process. I didn't go to corporate trainings. I didn't need to be a better corporate manager. I could already do that. What I couldn't do was dream. And so I surrounded myself with people who did. You know, I was surrounded for three, four, five days on end with I'll say kids, you know, I was, when this was going on, I was 38. They were 22. I, I, I was surrounded. To, just, I'm Sorry. also so amazed with um, how you knew, like, I'm really good at managing. I'm really good at my corporate job. It's this other life, instead of just like, overlooking it because I mean like I can speak for the American way it's just like well just go take like another training go to another conference yeah not let me go hang out with the with the artsy creative people so this is probably a good time to maybe finish the Vietnam story yes yes (laughs) because it leads to exactly why I chose that path of healing and not more assessments more corporate training Um, so if the listeners remember, I'm heading off to Vietnam. This was going to be the place where I ended my life. I was going to do three months at the orphanage, and then I was actually going to die there. And for the first two months that I'm there, I don't remember a lot. I have very few memories of that, that period. I was a complete bitch, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, I was not nice to be around. I isolated myself from everybody except the kids in room five. They were my world. They were the only people I interacted with. And the interesting thing is that most of the children in that room are either mute or have not been taught to speak. So it was a very quiet place. And so I decide mid-December that if this is going to be my final Christmas, because in those two months, everything is my last It's my last flight to Vietnam. It's my last flight. It's my last time having to go through immigration. It's the last time I'm going to take the journey to the orphanage. Everything was last, 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 last. Okay, it's my last Christmas. I'm going to be Santa Claus. Now, I'm five foot ten and curvy. I think, you know, we'll we'll leave it at that. And I couldn't buy a T-shirt, shorts or shoes in the market in Hanoi, in the capital city. Just didn't have my sizes. And yet 
Come that day, I've decided to be Santa Claus and I go to Christmas Street, a small street of Christmas things that appears for like four or five weeks every year in a country that doesn't celebrate Christmas. That's strange. I find the complete Santa Claus outfit, hat, wig, beard, suit, belt, you name it, they had it. And it was all in my size. Come Christmas Day, I spend the whole day as Father Christmas, Santa Claus. I have my beard pulled. I hand out sweets and chocolates and hugs. It was a happy day. And when I look back now, I hadn't had one of those in a very long time. And so that whole day was shifting things for me. Come the end of the day, they tell us that one of the little girls is dying. And we should say our goodbyes if, you know, before we leave for the evening, because she's not going to make it. And I enter a room in the orphanage that I'd never been in before to see a little girl I've never met. Still dressed as Santa. And she's lying in a big crib with four other children. And I lean over this metal crib and she puts her hand in my beard. And she and I breathe together. And it's at that moment you realize she has a couple of hours left and she is fighting for every single breath. She still feels she has something to live for. And in comparison to me, she has nothing. But I have a family, I'm healthy. I've traveled, I've been educated, I have everything she could ever wish for, and yet I'm planning to give up. And there's just that beautiful moment where you realize there's a reason to breathe. There's a reason for me to be experiencing that whole journey. And what is it for? And I took a deep breath for probably the first time in months with her. We shared, you know, maybe two or three minutes before I left the room. But as I walked out of that room, it was like, what do I do now? Because Albert Einstein says, you can't fix the problem with the thinking that created it. Now, I had spent months, even years, creating that dark space where I was worthless, fr you know, frustrated, <sighs> disappointing people, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of all these different things. I had created all of that myself. Well, how, what do I do? Because I don't know how to think any differently. All I know is that there's a potential something else I'm supposed to do. That's the gift she gave me in that room. And so I go back to our guest house that night. And remember I said I went to Los Angeles for a speaker course. I met Bernie Hiller there, and he was our speaker trainer. He was there to teach us how to be more authentic on stage. And he and I did not get on at all. Um, and I, I, you know, I wonder that, why. <laughs> well, let's just say he was quite intuitive, and I thought he could read my mind and would know what I was planning. And so he scared me. Um, he gave me his business card, gave me, signed my, his book for me and told me that I should come to his classes. He knew he could help me. And I'm not entirely sure why I kept them, but I do remember saying to the other people in the class, I will never be in the same room as that man ever again. Now, of course, I know that in four months time, there's not going to be the chance for me to be in rooms with people anyway, but it was such 
I've never hated, I've not hated a lot of people in my life, but he was definitely on that list. <laughs> and yet I go back to the guest house that night and the only business card in my wallet is his. Unbelievable. And the only book in the room is his. And it's called Stop Acting and Start Living. And inside he's written, the bigger the dream, the better the life. Yeah. And that for me is the Microsoft Windows moment when you delete a file. And it says, are you sure you want to delete this file? That was my are you sure moment. If I reached out to him and asked for help, I was going to be on a completely different path if he said yes. Yeah. If he said no, I still had a plan. And he said yes. And that was the path that it took. But it became about asking for help, something I had never done before. That was, you know, I didn't ask for help. That was weak. That was, it just wasn't me. I could do everything. And if I told people I needed help, then I was struggling and I didn't want people to know that. And yet in that moment, the only way to change my life was to ask for help. And how, you know, interesting that, you know, like your whole put a flashlight on burnout, you know, is, is you have to ask for help. You have to say, Hey, I can't do this anymore. You know, I choose me, you know, I choose to take care of me. I'm putting the oxygen mask on me. Yeah. You know, in order for you to, you know, like, I just like, there's just so many like really awesome metaphors that, that are in your story. I mean, you know, to hit that being the only business card, you know, how you just like, you kept all these secrets. And I would think that, you know, before a couple of years ago, I mean, this whole burnout, you know, topic, you know, it was there, but it seems to me like, but it was just not something that anybody really talked about. Whereas now I just, I, I feel like, you know, you telling your story because it just makes people raise their hand and say, me too. Mm-hmm. I get like, you're speaking to my heart, to my soul, because you've been there. Like, and it's, and I would imagine, um, and I also know that the people who are in your audience it's so nice for them to see like you're on the other side so that they can get there also. And I think the important distinction to make is whilst there is that me too, you know, some people identify completely with it. There are a lot of people in the audience that just need to know that listening to your body and the signals it gets is just as important as how you would react if your battery on your phone died. Yes, 100%. Because we will get to 10%, 5% on our battery, and we become so focused on finding a plug or a power pack. That phone must not die. That phone must not die. My, My life is over if my phone is dead for like 30 seconds. And yet, I lived with those migraines for over a year. That was my body going, hello, I would like a recharge. Hello, can we maybe fuel mental health here? Um, 
yeah. our bodies are so smart. Yeah. But it's there, it's really easy to overlook. I've got a headache because, and we can blame something else, or the doctors can't yeah. figure out why I'm having these continuous migraines. Um, I've never had a migraine, but I cannot imagine what it must be, must have been like for you for 25 days out of a month. Whew. But yeah, so back to the other, the other part of that, that audience who's able to walk away from hearing you speak about, you know, just to listen to your body, your body is so smart. Yeah. And, you know, to, to give them the opportunity to see what the red flags are mm-hmm. for burnout, because they're not huge cat- catastrophic events. This is not you standing at the front of a, of a room of people and as angry as you've ever been in your life or sobbing at your desk uncontrollably or running out of the room. It's not, those are the very final things that happen. Right. But these are, these red flags can be as simple as you're not drinking enough water. Yeah. And whilst on its own, that is not innocuous. You're not drinking eight glasses of water a day is not going to lead to burnout on its own. But if you start combining it with two, three, four, five of these other red flags, the body is struggling. And that's when we start heading towards burnout. Yeah. So can we just uh, fast forward? Because I want to get you to brag now. About, <laughs> because this whole burnout thing, I mean, you were mostly an in-person speaker. Mm-hmm. You would fly somewhere, you would speak in front of an audience, you know, the past couple of years, and you're like, I, I'm pretty sure you and I had a conversation, like, I just didn't think that I, like, I needed that audience energy, I needed to feel the energy by being in front of them. And you have learned, <clears throat> excuse me, to really embrace and fall in love with virtual speaking and deliver your, and here's the, the, the caveat to that, is also deliver your, your story in a way that literally touches people around the globe, wherever they happen to be watching you from. Yeah. It's, it's been the craziest of shifts. Um, And I did have a period was like, well, my career is over because if there's no stages for me to speak on, then I'm not going to be speaking full stop. There was no pivot or anything like that. It was just like, I do not do virtual speaking. I do not do training online now i would i would coach clients on zoom before all right pandemic happened but speaking no that was something to be done on a stage with my walk-on music and my britney microphone you know that was me that was who i wanted to be yeah and so it took a while (laughs) so tell tell my audience about the European conference that you did that led to another that led to another. Yeah. So you, I'll just, I'll just say this. You never know who's looking at your stuff. You never know who's looking at your profile, what you've written about. No. And yeah, about a year ago, I got a LinkedIn message to say association wants to do a session on burnout at their European conference. And you're the person we want. 
This is from the program director. Okay, first time, so I get on the phone call with her. First time I've never had to pitch myself. They pitched me. Yeah, because they were like, we have to have We have to have it. Um, those are the, those, honestly, those are the best sales calls when people show up and they're, you're right, they're trying to convince you to say yes to them because they already made the decision. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so nice. That's, it's, it's a huge testament to everything that you've been doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's celebrating those things as well. So to anyone who's listening, celebrate all the wins, not just the big ones, you know, just getting that email from them and, you know, saying, could we have a call? I was the person they wanted. That was a celebration. Doing the conference, that was a celebration. Getting the speaker evaluations. You know, there were so many parts to it. Yeah. You get the speaker evaluation and then they ask you to speak to their corporate people. So you do another webinar for the corporate people. And then within a month of that, they ask you to keynote for the Canadian conference. And you just, it's all about the relationships. You never know who you the relationship are talking to. And your story. Sarah can be a little bashful at times. <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm going to tell you that when she did the European conference, uh, uh, virtual, that yeah. people kept talking about her session for a day and a half after she spoke while the conference was still going on, which made the gentleman that was in charge of the Canadian one, like, who is this woman? (laughs) We we need her again, apparently. And, you know, like I said, you celebrate the small things. Yes, that was huge. Um, It was virtual. So I saw nobody at that conference. I networked with nobody at that conference because it was just me on a screen and the other side had my slides. And you do a live poll as part of the presentation. That's the point at which I can see how many people are in the room. And it's 103. There were only 120 people registered for the conference. That's when you know that this topic needs to be spoken about. Yeah. And 103 people are listening to you virtually. Okay. This, this works. People are still interested. People are getting the information. The speaker evaluations then gave you feedback. They gave me comments. They gave me things to work on. Um, and all those things just build on it. You know, it encouraged me to do follow-up. It encouraged me to keep those relationships going so that when they, when they got the speaker evaluations, they were like, this needs to go further. Yeah. And they call you up and say, are you free to do this? And the same then with a keynote, everything is just building on it. And so it's not, you know, it's not necessarily going to be overnight success, but it can be a long-term success with the relationships that you create. Yes. And that really is a lot of speaking. It's about building those relationships. Even, you know, like I say the same thing, you know, about like podcasting that, you know, like when I, I encourage, you know, like you and other clients that when you're, when you're finished doing a podcast interview, because podcast hosts know other podcast hosts. And I love connecting people. Like I know somebody else, you know, if you're looking for more guests, but I do the same thing with speaking too, because like you have a beautiful message. 
you have a you have a story that's that's so captivating to listen to, and it really does hit home, and a lot of people can benefit from. Which is why I just like whenever I, I have the opportunity, like to pitch Sarah, <laughs> I'm pitching you because I I just feel like you're right. It's about relationships with meeting planners, but it's also about relationships with other speakers, and I want to be one of those speakers. And I had decided this years ago that when I stepped off the stage, I want to be able to help them find their keynote speaker, either breakout session speakers for their next conference, because it's hard. It is. And I found for podcasts, so for the audience, if you want to get on podcasts, ask people if they need guests. Because the podcast hosts want it to be easy. You know, you come along and say, I'm looking to be on podcasts. Are you looking for any guests? they're more than likely going to say yes, because it's the easiest way for them to fill their slots. It's the same, you know, the courtesies of just saying thank you for having me at the event. If I can, you know, let's keep in touch, following up with them a few months later um, for podcasts, repurposing that episode, you know, three months down the line, six months down the line. So it's always being rotated. All of these are really simple things that you can do. And most of them LA taught me when we were working <laughs> together. You know, just the power of the relationships that you create and how to utilize them to make it not just one podcast, but one podcast and some speaking and then some coaching. And, you know, it's these all, all these things build on each other, but they're all little steps at the beginning too. Yeah. You have to start somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, too many times people say, you know, whether they're either a shy person or somebody who has, you know, done some speaking coming to me like, but I want to speak on the big stages and I want these big dollars. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but you also have to prove yourself that a meeting planner isn't, you know, wants to see that you've spoken in front of 50 people and didn't fall apart you know, before they put you in front of their, their conference where there's going to be 500 people, you know, you just dazzled people and you had an audience at a conference that was really, they, they were, they became your raving fans, which is what got somebody's attention. Yeah. yeah. All done virtually. <laughs> All done virtually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, I'm proud of the fact that I had the awareness of what was wrong about virtual for me. It was not that I couldn't change lives from the stage. It was not that I couldn't tell my story. It was the simple piece of I did not get the same energy hit from going onto a virtual stage, so opening the Zoom room, that I did from getting up onto an actual physical stage. And there are ways to get around that. You, you play right. the same walk-on music. I play the walk-on music into my office. Yeah. You can play it. I was playing it just before we came on here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can prepare in the same way. If it's, you know, if it's a screen and you know you're not going to see the audience, then I give my talk to the kids at the orphanage. They're on the window. They have their photos. You know, you can always have a physical audience. Yes. And I love how you, sorry, I love how you like figure that out because you're right. It's, it's about teaching our nervous system, 
about this is how I prepare before I speak, whether it's in person, you do the exact same thing that I do because man, like I have my pre-speaking routine and it does, it includes music and moving. And so if I'm not going someplace, I do the same thing. Like I do it before I hop on the Zoom screen. Yeah. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no difference to telling you, you know, to getting your nervous system. I'm about to speak. Mm -hmm. That is the statement. It's not, I'm about to speak virtually. So this is going to be boring. This is going to, you know, (laughs) that was, that was where I was because I wasn't getting that same hit, the dopamine hit the energy rush of going on, so no adrenaline. Right. But by creating the routine or recreating the routine for when I walk into my office to do a virtual talk, I can get that same hit, which means the audience gets the best me. My fear was that if I didn't have that, they didn't get the best me, which was what stopped me from getting up onto the stage, onto the virtual stage. When I first got those evaluations after that first virtual conference, that was enough to show me that actually it still comes across. And you might, I might not be fueled by adrenaline by doing it virtually, but the audience doesn't know the difference. Right. Because I think you know, was, you've also crafted your story in a way that really touches people's hearts and their, and their souls. And I think it was you that said to me, it doesn't, when you walk off the stage, no one in the audience knows what you should have said. Right. It's what you presented and allowing yourself as a speaker, as a podcast guest to just speak from the heart. Whatever you are meant to say that day will come out. Mm-hmm. It might not be what you rehearsed. It may not be what you planned, but it was what somebody in that room needed to hear self-trust and having that worthiness that I belong on this stage. I belong here to share my story so that I can change and impact lives. This was wonderful, Sarah. I'm so glad that, that, uh, that you came on my podcast and we had this discussion because I want, because I want more people to know about you. And with that, would you share with my audience how they can learn more about you and follow you and maybe even learn from you with, uh, about burnout? Yeah. So best two ways to learn more about me, where I am, is if you feel that some of the topics we've touched on here today, are maybe you would raise your hand and say, actually, I'm a bit stressed too. Then we have a quiz. Uh, it's called Are You Burning Out? Uh, simple 15 yes, no questions to give you those red flags of burnout that we talked about, but also to give you an indicator of whether you maybe need some support or whether there's just some tweaks to your lifestyle that would actually make a huge difference for you. And you can find that at yourreasontobreathe.com forward slash quiz. Um, and that, can- that information is going to be in the show notes. Perfect. Um, the other way to connect is we have a new Facebook group and it's called Be Burnout Free. Um, so you can find us on Facebook, Be Burnout Free. Um, yeah, it's tips. It's how to, how to be burnout free, but also, you know, how to craft that life where burnout is not around. 
Love that. You're doing it without. Because you're more aware. Yeah. You're that you aware. are actually a priority in your life. And that means that you're managing your stress. You're putting boundaries in place um, that actually allow you to have that life and that freedom. Wonderful. And all of that information is going to be down in the show notes so that you can click join her to either take her quiz or join her Facebook group and just keep learning from Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. And having me. Yes. And we'll, uh, and for all my, my listeners, we will see you next week. Thanks for hanging out with me. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And join me over in my private Facebook group for more tips, community, and free trainings. You'll find the link in the show notes. You can also help this podcast reach more listeners by leaving a review. And as a thank you, each month I pick one of my reviewers to win a free coaching call with me. So if you haven't done so already, please leave a review and you could be the next winner.